This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, January 6, 2022. I'm Caleb Brown. As we approach the one-year mark for Joe Biden's time in office, the Cato Audio team took a look at Joe Biden's immigration policies over the past year and found them wanting. Cato's Alex Narasta and David Beer said that even though Donald Trump radically reduced legal immigration to the U.S., Joe Biden hasn't done much to change it. We are just about a year into the presidency of Joe Biden. Uh, He made some promises relating to immigration that were strikingly different from uh, his predecessor, Donald Trump. Uh, So how's he done? And uh, specifically with respect to his remain in Mexico policy, you know, what has really changed? I'm joined by Alex Narasta, who directs immigration policy studies here at the Cato Institute, and David Beer, who is a research fellow at the Cato Institute, to talk about this first almost full year of the Biden presidency. So, Dave, I want to uh, start with you. You know, a year ago, you wrote uh, a couple of op-eds just sort of encouraging the Biden administration to go big when it comes to deregulating immigration uh, to the United States for a variety of reasons. Broadly speaking, what were your recommendations? Well, they were numerous, but uh, primarily focused on expanding access to legal immigration. Um, That's the main driver of illegal immigration. Legal immigration is a benefit to the country. And our proposals laid out a variety of ways in which we can both increase legal immigration, allow more people to immigrate, and then get the most out of immigration uh, and immigrants when they're here so they can work and we're not having people on welfare. And so uh, really those proposals uh, largely have not uh, been carried out by this administration. Um, We have seen some rollbacks of what the Trump administration has done, um, but uh, very marginal. Um, The shift has not been dramatic. And in general, uh, the administration has tried to move as slow and as uh, limited as possible on legal immigration and immigration generally. Okay, so uh, before we get into more of the substance of the Biden administration policies with respect to immigration, uh, Alex, you wrote a piece about detailing sort of what the Trump legacy is with respect to immigration. So how did immigration change from 2016 to 2021? The main way that Donald Trump affected immigration in the United States was by vastly reducing legal immigration. So if you take a look at the decline in the number of temporary workers coming to the United States in some categories, the number of lawful immigrants coming uh, to the United States, number of students, for instance, there's a fairly steady decline. It began a little bit um, prior to Trump taking office in 2016 is when it really starts to slow down. But it picks up under Trump. And then when COVID-19 happens, uh, the Trump administration uses that as an excuse to basically end all legal immigration to the United States and the vast majority of uh, non-immigrants. So like migrant workers, um, students, other people coming to the United States. So the the estimates are that, you know, prior to compared to prior to COVID, uh, the Trump administration decreased the number of uh, green cards issued by about 90 percent. They issued those people abroad by about 90 percent. And by and for temporary people coming to the United States, tourists, 
uh, migrant workers had by over 90%, by 93% uh, during that time period. So that's been the main legacy. A lot of people look at his immigration enforcement policies against currently resident illegal immigrants and people on the border. And frankly, deportations declined uh, in most years of the Trump administration. The last year in office for Trump was the lowest that we've had on record up until that time since basically the George W. Bush administration, the fewest number of people being deported. Um, he did build some sections of the wall. I'll give him, you know, that's absolutely something that he did. But in terms of removing illegal immigrants, in terms of shrinking that population, he basically had no effect and was probably the most ineffective policy uh, politician uh, on that score um, in decades. But what he did do and what he had power over uh, was cutting to an extent that we haven't seen in American history from one year to another legal immigration to the United States. So I saw. Uh, because I uh, get an unfortunate fraction of my news from Twitter, uh, I saw a, a meme, I guess, and it was Ted Cruz saying, essentially, let me sum up my immigration preferences uh, thusly, legal, good, illegal, bad. And of course, that's a perfectly vacuous statement. But um, presumably, uh, if you take that uh, at face value, Republicans should have no problem with uh, vastly increased legal immigration. But of course, that's not really the case, is it? It's not really the case. Well, first off, my sympathies for being on Twitter. Secondly, um, in terms of that meme, I'm not sure what uh, Ted Cruz has been all over the map on the issue of immigration over the years. Uh, but more recently, I just frankly don't believe that. He was instrumental in opposing a bill that would allow refugees fleeing communist China from Hong Kong coming to the United States. He has uh, supported most of the efforts in recent years to reduce legal immigration to the United States. That is the plank written into the party platform of the uh, of the Republican Party uh, in 2016 and then copied over again in 2020 is basically to cut legal immigration by about 66%. So um, that would be great if that were true. And I think you can say about most, a lot of Republicans prior to 2015, prior to 2016 or so, I think you could say that that is probably the perspective that most of them had. But as far as I can tell right now, things are in flux. And most Republicans, um, uh, perhaps Ted Cruz included in that, are much more skeptical of legal immigration than that gives it credit for. Yeah, I would just say that, uh, you know, there's a difference. Really, elected Republicans are more anti-legal immigration than even their voters. Uh, it, it, it's really surprising. They're finding new ways to be restrictive on the issue of, of, of legal immigration. I, I, you know, this bill with the Hong Kong refugees, I mean, we had almost universal support um, for that. And then Ted Cruz came along and said, well, they could be spies for the Chinese. Therefore, we can't risk letting in any of these Hong Kong refugees, and it's not just refugees. Uh, you know, he's he's opposed to high skilled H one B temporary workers. Has a bill to slash those uh, dramatically, um, and you go on down the list. Uh, chain migration, you know, family based, family sponsored um, immigration. He's opposed to that, even though that's the bulk of immigration to the United States right now. So if you just cut that out and don't replace it with anything, you're cutting legal immigration dramatically. And that was certainly a perspective that we saw 
under the Trump administration. And just to cut in on this, in 2015, Ted Cruz proposed a bill to increase the number of H-1B workers to 300,000 a year, which is about, uh, you know, more than threefold increase in the total numbers of high-skilled workers who can come to the United States. So this really is sort of a a new-ish opinion for him compared to the relatively recent past. All right. So uh, Joe Biden becomes president of the United States. And um, what does he do with respect to immigration? He moves very, very slowly, um, as slowly as humanly possible, given the, the constraints of he ran on a platform that was as pro-immigrant as any politician uh, elected to the presidency in our history since Lincoln. I mean, Lincoln's really the only other uh, president who campaigned as, as being pro-immigrant and uh, to this extent. And this, I mean, far greater than Obama. I mean, Biden had a platform that laid out in detail every single immigration program and how he would expand it and make it more accessible to immigrants. Um, so, I mean, you start with the refugees we already discussed. Um, he initially resisted raising the refugee cap at all. And that was set by Trump, um, President Trump, at the lowest level it had ever been set at. And he, for political reasons, thought it was bad politics to increase the refugee cap. So he initially resisted doing that. And then finally, he caved to pressure after several months in, in May. He increased the refugee cap. At the same time he increased the cap, he said, well, we're probably not actually going to process any more refugees this year, despite me increasing this cap. And that's exactly what happened. He ended up having admitted the fewest refugees in the history of the refugee program um, in 2021. Um, you look at asylum. So, you know, people coming to the border to request asylum, uh, you can request asylum in two ways. Uh, the first is to cross the border illegally and, and request asylum. That's, that's the way that gets the most attention from people. The other way is to come to a port of entry and request asylum at a, at a legal, lawful port of entry. Under the Trump administration, they closed that off entirely. They said, we're not going to accept any asylum seekers at ports of entry. And that meant the only way to request asylum was to cross the border illegally. And the Biden administration has actually kept that approach, um, saying the only way to, to request asylum is to cross the border illegally. And um, that's reflected in the number of people who are crossing the border and entering the country in, a, in an illegal manner. If you were to draw lines, take a look at data during the last year of the Trump administration, the first year of Biden on legal immigration and on people coming to the United States and allowed to, I don't, I would, and you didn't know the time, you didn't know who won the election, you didn't know when a president took power or even if there was a change in power. I don't think you'd be able to tell when Joe Biden took office and started power, or even if there was a change of power in that entire time period. One of the jokes that David and I have in the office is that uh, Trump's second term is going pretty well on immigration. Absolutely. You know, the other, the other very important thing is the consulates abroad that process the visas. 
Um, most of those consulates are still not op- fully operational right now. Uh, they're operating at reduced capacity. They're not operate. They're not accepting applications um, from many categories of temporary workers, and so we're having these huge backlogs at the consulates. There are over five hundred thousand immigrant visa applicants um, waiting. Uh, for an interview so they can come to the United States. These are people who are going to become permanent residents in this country. Um, Pre-COVID, there was just 60,000 in that backlog. Uh, the, The Biden administration has done almost nothing to reduce that backlog. It's come down very slightly um, over the last year. Um, you look at temporary workers, temporary visa holders, those numbers are all still down. And the administration is is really not doing much more than, uh, well, let's maybe g- go back to um, you know, some of the processes that were under the, the Trump administration. And so not taking a, a dramatic approach to trying to fix um, these visa processing issues. And that's really what's reducing new immigrants to the United States is these visas and and consulates abroad. And this is at a time, of course, where we have a huge labor shortage. I mean, 10 million open jobs, and we're not letting immigrants come in and fill them. Uh, Alex, you mentioned not being able to tell from the data when the Biden administration began. But of course, we can tell from uh, the charts that you guys have uh, compiled when COVID-19 began. And uh, so how did that my sense is that that probably empowered the restrictionists uh, in in such a way to say, well, we're going to reduce legal immigration and uh, whatever happens with covid, we're going to try to keep it there. Most of the actions taken by Trump prior to covid that had the effect of reducing lawful immigration were administrative actions, executive orders, some regulations. But things that could be changed pretty quickly uh, by an administration coming in that had a different opinion. Nothing permanent. What Trump took advantage of was a provision of law in Title 42, basically pushing the CDC to issue an order saying it's a health emergency and the borders are closed. And that was a tectonic shift. It was made possible partly um, by the ban on a lot of immigrants and travelers that Trump put in place in Muslim countries uh, very early on in his administration. There was a uh, very uh, terrible Supreme Court decision in Trump v. Hawaii, which basically, and in my opinion, misread a statute and said that the president can stop immigration from anywhere in the world, basically by uttering some magic words. Uh, as David here argued at the time, well, there's no limiting factor here. He can just close at any time for any reason. And, you know, it's arguable that there's limitations in the statute that allow closing the border for uh, for health reasons. But that doesn't matter because the Supreme Court will basically rubber stamp any action taken by any American president now that limits the ability of people to come to the United States. We don't have, and put it the way, we really don't have immigration law anymore in this country. What we have is the rule of the president and basically whatever he wants. So uh, for decades, Congress delegated to the president uh, powers over trade. Um, I assume that's largely similar with respect to immigration. Yes. The administration has certainly great power over the legal immigration system. 
Um, but for the most part, the, the main part of permanent immigration to the United States was carried out based on numerical limits imposed by Congress in the statutes. Um, now, under since Trump and since COVID and it, continuing under Biden, we have this policy where the administration can say, we're just not going to use the caps. We're going to just discard a bunch of these visas that Congress authorized. We're, we're not going to let people from certain countries and certain places apply at all or immigrate here. Um, we're even seeing this now with the latest ban on certain African nations. Um, these are policies that basically override all of the existing statutes. So yes, we had we had restrictions before, we had interpretations of statutes, but this is something fundamentally different where the president unilaterally is just saying, we're not gonna take anyone from this region of the world or these countries or this category of immigrants totally ineligible. Um, and, and that's really a break from past tradition. So in a sense, that's just a executive dereliction. We basically have, um, you know, like a doge, which is, you know, the, the ancient dictator elected in Venice for life. This guy isn't elected for life. You know, none of these presidents are. But in terms of their power over immigration, it's basically total. It's whatever they want. The courts are not going to stop them. Now, there's differences, you know, for immigrants who are already in the United States. That's a different story. But for letting folks in from abroad, it's uh, all in the administrative agencies now. It's all with the president. And this is, I think, a consequence of the fact that there is no power in the Constitution that delegates to anybody the power to regulate immigration. This was invented in 1889 by the Supreme Court. They created something out of whole cloth called plenary power for uh, immigration, saying that Congress can do whatever it wants on this topic. And what increasingly Congress has done over time is grant more and more of that power to the president. And the courts have, with basically no exceptions that I can think of off the top of my head, um, rubber stamped that delegation of power to the president. So uh, to give you two a bit of kudos, you have been for years coming up with policies that could be fairly quickly implemented to devolve a lot of that uh, regulatory authority over immigration, if not to individual employers, to uh, states to make determinations about what they need, what their employment needs are with respect to immigration. In December of 2020, now more than a year ago, uh, you guys put together deregulating legal immigration, a blueprint for agency action. And uh, I would uh, refer people to that and uh, commend it to people if they want a detailed, highly detailed list of uh, potential policy changes. Uh, just in general, uh, if uh, I'm kind of putting you on the spot here, to the extent that uh, the Biden administration has taken up any of these ideas, what were they? Well, he did, you know, was none, I would say none have been of voluntary, voluntary actions uh, on the part of this administration. He has increased the refugee cap. That was one of our recommendations. He has the power to do that explicitly from Congress. Um, but uh, he isn't actually uh, increasing the number of refugees he's letting into the country. So he's in this bizarre situation where he's getting the pro-immigrant uh, people happy by increasing the refugee cap, but not actually letting any more refugees 
into the country. Um, but uh, beyond that, uh, one thing that he did do it was forced by a lawsuit uh, against him, but uh, was authorize the spouses of some certain categories of temporary workers to work legally in the United States while their their uh, spouse is working at some company. This is a great change. This is a you know a very important um, uh, change in policy that will enable. Um, more economic growth by having the contributions of these spouses who are often very highly educated and highly productive um, workers as well. And one policy I want to say real quick is that David is the number one person responsible for basically getting thousands of green cards issued before they expired this year. Um, And I think you should talk just... Sure. What about that real quick? Sure. Yeah. So the administration inherited a situation where green card processing for people already in the United States, uh, these are temporary workers already here uh, uh, applying to adjust their status to become permanent residents. They have a cap on the number of, of green cards that can be issued. And the administration, when it took over from the Trump administration, they were on pace to waste uh, well over 100,000 of these uh, green cards. And, um, you know, I was one of the first people to point out that, they, you know, the pace of approvals was incredibly slow, that they were not going to use the cap. And the pace increased dramatically um, after I wrote in the Washington Post about this problem. And um, ultimately, they still wasted nearly 80,000 of these uh, green cards. Uh, but the pace of approvals in the final quarter after I um, crunched the numbers and put this out doubled. Um, and so they increased dramatically the the pace of approvals, wasted far fewer as a result of uh, some of the stuff that we put out there. But um, that's just another example of how slow they are to act. And, um, you know, they will respond to pressure. Unlike the Trump administration, they'd be like, happy, here, let's throw all these in the trash. Uh, The Biden administration has responded in some cases to uh, pressure from the outside, but it's always slow. It's always reactive. It's always do the minimum rather than be proactive and fix the problem at the outset. And you had to point it out to them and you went to talk to them in their offices, right? And you convinced them and told them they have to get their act together and issue these. So like you had to, it's like they didn't know what was going on. The virtual office, but sure. The virtual office, over Zoom, right? (laughs) And you you did that. And that is a real impact and something that, uh, you know, I'm proud of. So Dave, you mentioned uh, the labor crunch that is currently underway in the United States. Part of that is driven by uh, COVID, uh, and the fallout from COVID, including massive payments to for people to not return to work when they otherwise would. Um, some of that is just people who've just decided, yeah, I'm going to, life is short. I'm going to do something else with my life. But there is that demand. I wonder t- the extent to which that has changed the political calculus with respect to uh, immigration right now. I've even heard a few Democrats saying things like, oh, no, this is good, actually. 
because it's driving wages up, which is, you know, if you're an employer, that's a little bit of a galling uh, claim to have to sit through when you're unable to find workers to do accomplished tasks that you need accomplished in order to serve the public in the way that you want to. Um, so uh, I, guess, I guess how does uh, immigration in a, in a general sense, uh, you know, how important is it to economic growth going forward? Well, it's very important. Uh, I would say that the Biden administration largely agrees with the perspective that the labor shortage is a good thing, Um, certainly a good thing for the country and for workers, um, U.S. workers. Um, It really only looks at immigration through the humanitarian perspective. Uh, It doesn't see the labor need. It's 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 fairly hostile to all of the temporary work visa programs through which employment-based immigrants to this country come to this country. So it's not as bad as, as the Trump administration uh, by any means, but it is certainly not uh, seeing immigration as like this opportunity to solve the problem of the labor shortage. Um, to the extent that it's letting people into the country, it's doing it so because either a commitment to um, family members in the United States who are petitioning for them or humanitarian concerns, it's not doing it because of uh, economic reasons. And so um, that fundamental uh, misunderstanding of the economy, seeing the labor shortage as something benefiting workers, um, even though we know that inflation is outpacing increases in wages. So this is going to make it more difficult uh, to get an expansive legal immigration policy put into effect when it, the administration's economic perspective and economic advisors are saying, don't do that, um, basically exacerbate this situation. With respect specifically to Democrats and doing reforms to immigration, I vaguely remember, uh, Alex, 2007, 2008, 2006, we had a president who seemed very interested in immigration reform, um, and it didn't happen. That's absolutely correct. And so, what, what what were the what were the politics there? Because because I I, I imagine that Democrats and this is this the cynical view would rather have the issue than fix the problem. The politics were quite different back then. When you take a look at polling of Democrats and Republicans around 2006 or so, their average opinions weren't that different on the issue of immigration. What, uh, you know, you had a Republican president who supported it, and you had a lot of Democrats at the time, including uh, Senator Obama from Illinois, who was very skeptical of expanding legal immigration, threw in um, some poison pills. Uh, voted for some poison pills along with Jim DeMint and other uh, anti-immigration Republicans uh, threw in there uh, to basically scuttle some of these programs uh, that that would have uh, killed guest worker programs in some of these bills and made them politically untenable. Uh, But there has been a radical change in at least public opinion since then. And you got to take this for a grain of salt because you got to ask, like, how good are these polls? What are you really measuring when you're measuring public opinion? How does this translate to political action? But Democrats are, you know, about 80% of Democrats think that immigration is good for the United States. And uh, the number for Republicans is about 35%, basically unchanged for Republicans over the next last 15 years, but radically different for Democrats. Uh, but these are Democratic voters. 
These aren't necessarily Democrats in Congress. And that doesn't also mean that Democrats care about this issue as number one. They don't. I mean, even people who are pro-immigration who are Democrats, it's usually not the number one issue. It's their fourth, fifth, sixth issue. And that's what I think is the basic challenge here. People who are opposed to immigration care about it a lot. People who support immigration, eh, it's not that big of a deal to them. Dave, any final thoughts? I would just emphasize that uh, there is a real opportunity for change under the Biden administration. Uh, many, we know personally, many of the uh, appointees in this administration, they do have plans that the White House uh, people are sitting on. So the political people are interfering with the policy people who are trying to get good policies put into effect. And that's that uh, give and take, the argument there is actually a good change from where we were under the Trump administration, where there was no give and take. There was no one arguing on the pro-immigrant side of things. And in this case, at least we have some voices within the administration who are urging some changes that would be beneficial. So over the next couple of years, hopefully we'll see the fruits of that. Alex Narasta and David Beer study immigration at the Cato Institute. And now a quick shout out to a Cato podcast sponsor who supported us during the month of December, James Gettler. Thank you for your continued support of the Cato Daily Podcast and the Cato Institute. We don't accept government money, so supporters like you are how we do our work advancing civil society. Thank you. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.